Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the third quarter 2020 results conference call. I would now like to turn the meeting over to Philip Burns. Please go ahead, Mr. Burns. Thank you, operator, and good morning, everyone. Before we begin, let me remind everyone that during our conference call this morning, we may include forward-looking statements about our future financial and operating results. I direct your attention to slide two and our other regulatory filings. Joining me today is our CFO, Scott Cryer, and VP of Finance, Stephen Coe. After I provide an update on our operational progress during the quarter, Scott will give an overview of our financial results and position. ERES was formed only one and a half years ago on March 29, 2019. Yet in such a short time, it already is experiencing an unprecedented disruption of global markets from a strong and stable economy to the challenging downturn onset by the COVID-19 pandemic. ERIS has been tested, but it is pleased to report another solid quarter of performance amidst this global uncertainty. As can be seen on slide four, despite temporarily pausing our pursuit of growth by acquisition, a precautionary measure taken for liquidity conservation in facing the pandemic, ERIS now has recommenced accretive expansion. Our suite count has increased by 12% in the 12 months since the quarter three of 2019 to 5,752 suites at September 30th, 2020, which includes our latest acquisition on September 1st of 120 residential suites. This growth has been enhanced enhanced by fair value appreciation of our property portfolio, which we have been able to recognize each quarter to date, increasing our asset value by an even greater 22% versus the comparative period. These improvements do not include our acquisition of an additional portfolio which closed post-period on the 1st of October, comprised of 113 residential units, bringing our pro forma suite count to 5,865 units. Our market capitalization and public float also have increased compared to September 30, 2019, by 6% and 37% respectively. The positive trend in our market cap that can be seen in 2019, which reflects the external validation of the ERES platform, has been negatively impacted in 2020 by the stock market's overriding response to the unpredictability of the COVID-19 pandemic, which has inflicted volatility on stock prices as global economies entered into recessionary territory. ERES's units continue to trade influenced by this market-wide sentiment and remain disconnected from its operational performance and underlying fundamentals. Nevertheless, on July 7th, it marked a significant milestone for the REIT as we graduated from the TSX Venture Exchange to the Toronto Stock Exchange, which should further increase ERES's liquidity and open a wider and deeper investor base in Canada and beyond. Slide five outlines a few highlights from the quarter and how we are achieving our stated objectives. For the three and nine months ended September 30, 2020, 
our property portfolio increased in value by 26.8 million euros and 52.2 million euros respectively to 1.4 billion euros as that period end. Not only reflecting the counter-cyclical and defensive characteristics of the Dutch multi-residential market, but also the high quality of eResis portfolio. As I mentioned previously, we are pleased to announce the cl closing of a successful acquisition during the period of a 120-suite multi-residential portfolio in the province of Gelderland in the Netherlands for a purchase price of 20.15 million euros, excluding transaction costs. This was followed shortly by a subsequent acquisition on October 1st of another multi-residential portfolio in the Netherlands comprised of 113 suites and purchased for 26.25 million euros. We hope and expect to continue this recent trend in accretively adding to our multi-residential portfolio by prudently capitalizing on the abundance of near-term attractive opportunities currently present in the Dutch market. I will let Scott speak more specifically to the details of our liquidity measures, but to briefly touch upon our financing activities at a high level, we ended the quarter on September 30th reporting 120 million euros in immediately available liquidity which included a draw on our revolving credit facility of 20 million euros to finance the post-period and acquisition of the Keros portfolio closing on the 1st of October. Subsequently and currently, we have 90 million available in remaining liquidity, including 80 million in undrawn capacity on our revolving credit facility, as well as cash on hand. We continue to present solid operating results for another quarter with FFO of 0.034 cents per unit and three cents per unit, respectively. While benefiting from accretive acquisition since the prior period, both FFO and AFFO have been negatively impacted by the lower return which we earned on excess cash as we conserved our liquidity amidst the uncertainty surrounding the COVID-19 pandemic, ultimately resulting in stable metrics. That brings us to slide six, which outlines that extensive measures have been put in place by the Dutch government in order to mitigate the adverse impacts of COVID-19 and protect the welfare of its people and their incomes. In general, the focus has been to maintain as much as possible people's incomes by measures which include employer wage contributions, small business loan extensions, and government support for international trade, to name a few. Such measures have assisted tenants during these challenging times to maintain their rental payments, even if they've experienced job disruption. The efficacy of such measures had initially enabled the Dutch government to accelerate their roadmap for reopening the economy. However, as the pandemic enters its second stage with the recent rise in new cases, certain restrictions, certain restrictions have been reinstated and there can be no certainty that additional restrictive measures will not be imposed. To highlight some key aspects of our portfolio, on slide 7 you can see that our suites continue to be nearly evenly divided between regulated and liberalized providing balanced growth potential in rents, as well as the opportunity to liberalize more suites. Importantly, over 40% of our current properties are located in the high-growth urban conurbation of the Randstad, with approximately 25% directly located in the cities of Amsterdam, Rotterdam, The Hague, and Utrecht. The rest of the portfolio is situated in smaller urban areas throughout the country. Slide 8 provides more detail on our current residential portfolio. Average occupied monthly rents were 852 euros at the end of September, with a high and stable occupancy of 98.4%. Our turnover was 10.8% for the first nine months of 2020, which is slightly high on an annualized basis compared to 13.2% turnover achieved in 2019. 
This, however, is partly a result of higher vacancy going into 2020 due to portfolios acquired toward the end of 2019. The ERES portfolio is well diversified by number of bedrooms, ensuring we meet the demand for smaller units as well as for families. You can also see that approximately half of the current portfolio was constructed since 1980, providing an average age of under 40 years, resulting in lower ongoing repair and maintenance costs and driver, driving higher asset values. And with that, I will now turn the call over to Scott. Thank you, Philip. As you can see on slide 10, our solid operating performance this quarter has been driven by rapid acquisition growth coupled with strong rental growth. With operating revenues up 50% since the prior year period, an especially impressive metric in the context of this pandemic. The increase is attributed to contribution from acquisitions as well as higher monthly rents and higher occupancy on stabilized properties. Net operating income has followed suit, increasing by 49% however, was impacted by some higher property operating costs this year, mainly due to heightened repair and maintenance costs as well as increased advertising costs associated with turnover and vacancy reduction. In aggregate, this has resulted in a slight decrease in our NOI margin, which nonetheless remains strong at 75.6%, in line with our long-term expected average. FFO and AFFO increased by 43 and 47% respectively compared to the third quarter of 2019. FFO per unit remains stable compared with the prior period at 0.034 per unit, while AFFO per unit increased by 3% to 0.030 per unit. This exhibits the positive impact of accretive acquisitions since the prior year period, offset by higher current income tax and general administration administrative expenses, as well as lower return earned from above average cash maintained on hand this year, as a result of the REIT's precautionary liquidity cons conservation. FFO and AFFO per unit were also impacted by a greater weighted average number of units outstanding during 2020, up 43% from the comparative period, primarily from the REIT's equity offer in December of 2019. As detailed on slide 11, our operating metrics have persevered against the backdrop of unprecedented challenges to conventional operating conditions. Our suite count increased by 12%, and to reiterate, our pro forma suite count further increased post-period end to 5,865 suites with the closing of our acquisition on October 1st. Residential occupancy increased to 98.4%, compared to the same period last year, in part evidencing the effectiveness of our property management through a focused minimization of inherited vacancy. Occupied average monthly rents on our stabilized portfolio increased by 3.9%, a result of contractual indexation, turnover, and the conversion of regulated suites to liberalized suites. Stabilized portfolio NOI also increased significantly by 8% for the three months ended September 30th, 2020, driven primarily by higher operating revenues from increased average monthly rents. Finally, our weighted average interest rate continues to decrease, down seven basis points compared to the same time last year, 
substantiating the strong spreads we continue to achieve between cap rates and interest costs. Although we have now returned to prudently but actively pursuing accretive expansion, we do so while maintaining an unwavering focus on preserving our conservative financial profile, as you can see on slide 12. This has been especially important given the continued economic uncertainty, with the Netherlands, like many other countries, experiencing a second wave of the pandemic. Despite the unpredictability and in combination with the rapid and significant increase in the size of our asset base, we are seeing conservative leverage, which we expect to keep between 45 and 50% as we continue to grow down the line. Lower interest costs as a result of having secured financing to date by capitalizing on the persistently low rates in the European Union and a conservative 4.7 year term to maturity for our mortgage portfolio. In addition, after funding the acquisition of the Kairos portfolio on October 1st, ERES currently has 90 million euros in immediately available liquidity, inclusive of 80 million in undrawn lines of credit with the remainder in available cash. Using an assumed 60% loan-to-value ratio on long-term mortgage financing, we have immediate capacity to acquire up to 225 million euros in assets. Slide 13 provides more detail on our well-staggered mortgage portfolio. With the nearest debt maturity not occurring until December 2022. In addition, the majority of our mortgages are non-amortizing. As we continue to grow, we will ensure we maintain our smooth maturity profile in order to reduce renewal risk. Thank you for your time this morning. I'll now turn things back to Philip to wrap up. Philip? Thanks, Scott. In summary, ERIS has remained steadfast in turbulent times. These extraordinary economic circumstances have allowed for the REIT to quickly establish a track record of resilience and adaptability underpinned by the high quality of our portfolio, the robustness of our operating platform, and the capabilities of our teams in both Europe and Canada. We are positioned well to continue safely and accretively growing even in adverse market conditions. In this regard, we believe that ERES offers a compelling investment opportunity the REIT provides a unique opportunity to invest in the fast-growing and attractive European multi-residential real estate market. Our partnership with CapReIT brings significant benefits to our unit holders. We are growing our portfolio at a very attractive yield spreads with strong and highly accretive organic and external growth opportunities. We have established a strong foothold in the Netherlands multi-residential market, and we are building size and scale to drive value going forward. Our conservative balance sheet and financial position provides the flexibility and resources to drive further growth, and we have in place an experienced management team and a seasoned board of directors. Thank you for your time this morning, and we will now be pleased to take any questions you may have. Operator, please open the lines for questions. Thank you, Mr. Burns. Please press star 1 at this time if you have a question. There will be a brief pause while the participants register for questions. Thank you for your patience. The first question is from Mr. Brad Sturgis from Raymond James. The line is open. Please go ahead. Hi there. Um, Morning, Brad. 
Morning. Uh, wanted to touch on uh, the acquisition uh, environment and strategy at the moment. Uh, as you've noted, a couple of uh, called tuck-in acquisitions completed over the last uh, couple of months. You know, how is the pipeline for that opportunity looking right now? And you know, could we see a few more of those type of transactions in, in the short term? Um, thanks, Brad. Yeah, I mean, the, honestly, I, I think 2020 will probably, notwithstanding there was a slower period um, around the first wave of the pandemic, I think 2020 could very well break a record in terms of volume of uh, residential transactions in the Netherlands. Uh, the second half of the year, um, there's been a lot uh, of product uh, come to the market, uh, and, and even more so, it continues to be. Uh, just in Q4 alone, uh, we've reviewed over 700 million worth of product and about 3,000 units. So um, the opportunity to grow is absolutely there, continues to be there, and, and I see that continuing unabated going going forward. I think uh, looking at you know how our portfolio and, and I assume others have performed, it just demonstrates to people that this is a great defensive asset class, um, as well as an asset class that even in trying times has you know the top line growth associated with it. So um, we will uh, remain uh, in uh, acquisition mode. I do like the the tuck-in acquisitions, uh, given that we have a, a big well well um, diversified portfolio it gives us more flexibility to do some of those tuck-in acquisitions um, I believe you get slightly better pricing there uh, the pricing we've had you know on the two so far has been uh, attractive particularly you know when you look at how we're going to finance them we're, we're well 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 above 200 basis point spread and in some cases closer to 300 um, and I, I think there is uh, the, the possibility that we will do a few more of those uh, in the, the short term uh, and I think going into next year Again, capital markets dependent. Um, I think we'll also be in in the the mode to do bigger acquisitions if they're sensible and uh, the metrics line up uh, with the portfolio. Okay, so short term, could see leverage tick up towards the higher end of your target range right now. Is that a fair yeah, assumption? I mean, yeah, I mean, speaking, you know, candidly, um, you know, I, I don't see us issuing equity right now. We do have capacity, as Scott explained. Uh, and in connection with that, if our uh, leverage were to go up to the higher end of our range, you know, we've always said we want to be in the 45 to 50% range. Uh, I certainly think that's that's the right decision uh, to maintain our external growth. Is there a minimum baseline liquidity position that you'd like to see the REIT maintain on the balance sheet? There isn't a minimum number where we've drawn the line in the sand. Uh, again, we put our pens down on acquisitions uh, in Q2, uh, and we had uh, you know 140 million worth of liquidity in terms of cash and, and credit facilities. Um, we have spent some of that, and I feel very comfortable having done that. Uh, we don't have a baseline number that we won't go between or go below. Uh, we just have to always you know have a look at how the portfolio is performing, where the the pandemic is, what the new measures are. Again, in the Netherlands, the government has been very supportive, uh, providing you know backstops for people, and, and that's why you've you know seen that our our top line uh, uh, collections have remained very consistent with historical performance. So, from a cash generative capacity, uh, the business is doing well. Uh, so, again, you know we we wouldn't go down to zero, but we haven't uh, defined an exact number of how how low we would go. Okay. Uh, just last question. Just in terms of the acquisition environment that you just highlighted, has there been a, 
you know, any evidence ter- uh, with the transactions you're seeing in terms of change in valuation, you know, slightly lower cap rate or change on price per door basis? And I mean, I, I think cap rates are, are, are tightening. Um, I think you're going to see that, you know, probably globally for the most offensive assets, you know, multi-residential and, and I guess uh, industrial. Uh, and, and we're seeing that in the Netherlands as well, that there has been some uh, tightening on the cap rates. Uh, but you're also seeing uh, the interest rates uh, move almost in lockstep. Uh, you know, right now uh, the team regularly updates themselves on, you know, where the interest rates are. And, you know, between four and seven years, uh, you're sub-120 right now uh, for all in interest rates. So we can still maintain that, you know, loose rule of thumb that we want to be in the 200 basis points plus uh, yield spread when we're looking at doing acquisitions. But there, there definitely has been some uh, objective uh, compression of cap rates um, as, as the asset classes perform so well. Great. I'll turn it back. Thanks a lot. Thank you. The next question is from Kai Stanley from Desjardins Capital Markets. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Thanks. Good morning, guys. Morning. Good morning, Kyle. Hey, morning. Um, would you be able to just provide a bit more color on the uh, the same property OPEX inflation we saw during the quarter, and just maybe kind of how you're thinking about the NOI margin going forward? Um, so just in terms of um, the, the OPEX, it's uh, again, it's just a bit of a timing. Uh, there was a bit slightly higher um, R&M costs. Uh, and some of that also has to do with uh, advertising costs in connection with the uh, reduction in vacancy. Uh, but just in terms of uh, margins, we, we're kind of projecting, you know, 75, 76% uh, um, going forward. And that's kind of what we we're looking at on a long-term basis. Okay, great. Thanks for that. Uh, and then I was just looking, so 54 suites vacant for renovation at quarter end. Would all of these qualify for conversion to liberalize? And then maybe, you know, what would the timeline for that conversion uh, or renovation to be completed be? Those are not all conversions. There might be just a turnover investment, even if it's uh, regulated and going to stay regulated, or if it's already liberalized and going to stay liberalized. We might be doing other investments to uh, either maintain it, its letability at a good rate or to substantially reposition it at a, at a higher uh, AMR. But they're they're not all um, regulated to liberalized conversions. And the timing associated with that depends upon the, the the magnitude of the works that we're doing. But to do a full conversion, that's probably going to be offline for you know three to to four months. Okay. Okay. Great. Thanks for that. Um, I'm just wondering, are you seeing any changes in the profile of your potential tenants? Maybe just you know from an income perspective, or or are you seeing any specific attributes within your portfolio attract uh, new tenants at this point? Um, I wouldn't say that we've seen a, a dramatic change uh, really in the profile. I mean, you hear things about uh, you know Airbnb flats coming online, and you know that tends to be in the more central Amsterdam, maybe Utrecht area, which are the the higher price point product. You know, if you keep in mind that you know our average AMR is you know sub 900, you know that puts us you know very much on average in the mid market space, uh, and and those are you know 
guys, girls, you know, people making average incomes. You know, they're less likely to be the expatriates. Uh, they're less likely to be the students, uh, you know, people that have just ordinary jobs. And, and we're seeing uh, a high level of consistency. You know, if you look at our turnover rates, uh, you know, they're, they're online with, you know, ex ignoring, you know, Q1, which Stephen addressed, was, was due to uh, higher vacancy at the end of year end. You know, very consistent with what we've seen over the past couple of years. Um, we are seeing uh, a little bit higher uh, uplifts on turnover across all of the buckets, regulated, liberalized, and regulated to liberalized. But I don't identify that with uh, uh, a change in, in demographic of, of our target tenants. I just think it's um, uh, attracting the same tenant base, but we're just able to demand higher rents because we're either doing works or because our, our product is well located and, and there's the continuing shortage of supply. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, that, that's it for me. I'll turn it back. Thanks, guys. Thank you. The next question is from Lorne Kalmar from TD Securities. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Thanks very much. Morning, everyone. Um, Morning. Quick question on um, in Canada, we're hearing a lot about this deurbanization in the U.S. Are you guys seeing any of that uh, in the Netherlands? And if so, is that uh, a concern about, or would that kind of augment sort of your your choice of product in terms of Randstad versus non-Randstad? Well, you have to remember that the uh, the Netherlands is is already the the most densely populated country in Europe, and if you exclude city states, I think it's in the top five globally. So, you know, deurbanization is much more challenging in in the Netherlands than it would be in a geographically expansive place such as Canada. Uh, so, you know, we, we have not been experiencing, you know, anything that, that validates that. I, I won't opine on whether it's happening generally or not or whether the pandemic is accelerating that. Um, I still think from our portfolio mix, it's broadly defined Brownstad area, you know, 40% or just slightly above and in the, in the core cities, 25%. Uh, I like that uh, dynamic. We wouldn't be afraid and would be happy to buy more in the Randstad for the right price. You know, for us, it's always, you know, uh, managing or, or triangulating between, you know, probably a, a lower cap rate in the Randstad versus the growth profile versus a higher cap rate and maybe slightly less uh, growth profile outside the Randstad. But so there's some very strong um, locations uh, in the north and in the south, you know, whether it be uh, Groningen or that's in the north, uh, Eindhoven in the south, where we have um, units that we're very happy there as well. But, you know, the deurbanization um, is not currently influencing um, our appetite to, to take on more Ronstad assets uh, at the right price, of course. Okay. Um, and then kind of flipping back maybe to acquisitions, we heard um, – that there may be a proposal to increase the um, the tax on acquisitions from like two to eight percent or, or something on those lines. Could you maybe get a little more color on that and sort of how you expect that to influence uh, the acquisition activity going forward? Yeah. So at 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 the time of the global financial crisis, um, real estate transfer tax on residential portfolios was eight percent, and and post crisis they lowered it to two. Uh, and it's been on the legislative agenda to eventually re, re, um, readdress that. And it has now been readdressed. It's in the budget for next year. And so uh, I don't think they've signed the law yet, but for it's reasonably certain that the real estate transfer tax will be going from 2 to 8% uh, going forward uh, starting in 2021. Um, for our existing portfolio, it has limited impact. Uh, again, we're, we're a holder for perpetuity, so you know we wouldn't envision you know having you know, tax liabilities on our balance sheet or anything like that. Um, for the 
acquisitions. Uh, it is an increased cost. Um, that will be reflected in our underwriting. Um, you know whether or not you know the buyer absorbs it all or the seller absorbs some of it. You know it's difficult really to know. We will underwrite it. It will be reflected in our cash flows and our anticipated yields, and, and we'll price accordingly. But it is a, a near certainty that that tax change will be coming to pass as of January. Do, do you expect any impact on the, on cap rates? <sighs> there wasn't a. a, 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 a a noticeable impact on cap rates when they lowered it. So quite frankly, I, I don't see a, a meaningful um, push out of cap rates because of uh, the incremental tax. Okay, I guess that, that makes sense. Um, and then maybe just lastly for me, uh, maybe just a little bit more details on the um, the Kairos uh, portfolio in terms of location and cap rate, if, if you can. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's six buildings. Um, it's... Uh, a, a seller that, that we know well that we we've bought from previously so they're all in good condition um, we think there's uh, you know some some real value add opportunities that we can do within that portfolio to, to drive the, the existing AMR on turnover uh, the going in cap rate on that was uh, around a three nine just under three nine okay and was this marketed or was this uh, off market um, it was a, a little bit of both. It was part of a, lo- a, a broader portfolio, and then this sub-portfolio was, was taken out, uh, and then we bought the sub-portfolio. But I would say it was marketed. Okay, great. Uh, thank you guys very much. I'll uh, turn, turn it back. Thank you. The next question is from Yamanchu Gupta from Scotiabank. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Thank you, and good morning, everyone. So, good morning, uh, Matthew. Just saying on the Kairos portfolio, uh, so 87% of the suites are liberalized. So what kind of rent growth uh, are you underwriting on this property? And in general, has the rent growth expectations for liberalized properties, uh, I mean, changed due to COVID? Um, again, if, if you look at our um, our turnover numbers, uh, for, you know, I guess if you wanted to, to look at Q3, uh, the turnover that we're getting on the liberalized suites, uh, you know, the Turner uplift has still been, you know, quite positive, uh, you know, pretty much in line with last year. Uh, so, again, we are not seeing uh, any negative impact in our ability to, you know, take suites that are turning over either on the regulated side or the liberalized side to, to take them to market. Uh, again, we're we're doing even better on the regulated regulated suites as well. Um, the the Kairos portfolio again, we we do believe that there is uh, embedded growth there, uh, and we think that it would be overall accretive to the growth of the portfolio that we've been seeing so far. Got it. Okay, and then overall portfolio occupancy, it was slightly down uh, on a sequential basis. Uh, what led to the change? Uh, I mean, I noticed there were more suites under renovation than the last quarter. Uh, is that the main reason there? And in general, what has been the COVID impact on the leasing demand? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think last last quarter was 98.2, and, and, and this year, this we this time it's 98 um, uh, or 98.8. And now it's 98.4. So again, to me, that's not um, a, a meaningful movement. Uh, again, it uh, could be at any point in time where we had a little bit more turnover. We've taken something offline. Again, I think 60% of the vacancy right now currently is attributed to stuff offline for capex. 
So again, we have not seen uh, a material impact yet uh, on our collections or on our occupancy uh, driven from COVID. Again, I, I don't want to sound too confident uh, because COVID is still here, uh, but year to date and certainly you know, post Q1, um, our collections have been very consistent. Uh, our occupancy has been very consistent, less than 2%. Of course, there's going to be some movement there, depending upon, you know, um, you know turnover is, is not a, a straight-line scale. And, again, taking things offline for, for CapEx measures as well, which, again, we would have taken fewer things offline when, you know, we were uh, in, uh, in phase one of COVID because we weren't able to, um, to, to address them immediately. But now, even though they've re-implemented some of the measures, um, construction and CapEx works, and those things can still progress under the, the current restrictions. Absolutely. And in, in terms of, you know, leasing trends, uh, is there any indication in the Netherlands uh, for residents to prefer single-family over multifamily apartments because of COVID? And just curious, what percentage of your portfolio is townhouses or single-family versus the traditional multifamily product? Um, just just under 25% is single-family houses. Again, just, I mean, you've seen them in Manchu. They're not necessarily standalone single-family houses that, that you would see in Canada or the U.S., but they are single-family houses, single um, 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 parcels, but the, oftentimes they're connected, you know, row houses or terrace houses. We also have some very much single uh, standalone houses as well, but about 25% of our portfolio is what we call single-family houses versus multifamily units. Um, again, we have not seen a noticeable movement um, toward that dynamic versus our multifamily units. Again, when we're running at you know uh, vacancy rates of less than two percent, you know there's not a lot of choice to be made there. It's demonstrating that you know all of our product is is still uh, holding up and being very defensive, of both of both uh, asset subclasses. Sure. Thank you for the color. Uh, and maybe just on the IFRS valuation, I think there were some fair value gains recorded this quarter. Uh, was it only cap rate adjustments, or did you change your overall NOI growth assumptions as well on the portfolio? Yeah, so in yeah, terms there was. Of, oh, sorry, go ahead. Go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead, Stephen. Okay. Uh, yeah, so the investment properties did increase, uh, and that's majority of it has to do with uh, some assumptions in terms of. Uh, the increases in stabilized residential NOI. Um, and we did see, uh, you know, a, a bit of cap rate compression, but otherwise it was mainly tri driven by, uh, you know, the assumptions in NOI. Gotcha. Uh, and maybe just last question from me. Uh, Philip, you mentioned uh, in terms of pipeline, you have looked at, uh, I think if I got it correct, $700 million of product, almost 3,000 units. So just wondering, who are these seller groups now, and uh, have you seen any distressed sellers or any motivated sellers uh, because of COVID, or is it, you know, nothing must have changed in terms of, uh, like, the demand and supply dynamics? Yeah, sure. And just going back to the valuation question and, and what Stephen was saying about NOI, I mean, even in the, in the context of, uh, of COVID, I mean, we still – see and expect going into to next year to get very meaningful top-line growth coming through and, and you know, maintaining, uh, as Stephen said, what we anticipate to be um, our uh, solid NOI margin. Uh, we definitely see NOI growth, and, and we see that translating into to earnings or FFO growth, you know, 
probably uh, in, in the high single digits. So, again, it is challenging times, but the portfolio is, is holding up, and, and we're still um, optimistic about the way it's going to perform uh, going into next year. And then yeah. you know, co- coming, co- coming back to, to your question, there is not distressed selling. Um, there is a high amount of volume. Um, I think a lot of that volume is perhaps some of the processes were slowed or delayed uh, due to COVID. Uh, I think there's probably also some people that are trying to sell some product too before um, uh, the, the tax change comes in, and I think it was Kyle mentioned, uh, but there, there's not distressed pricing out there. Uh, I think, if anything, um, this asset class is proving uh, exactly what you know people anticipated, that it's very defensive, but yet still offers um, objective and subjective attractive top-line growth. Uh, and there are there are buyers out there, including ourselves. And uh, there's a high volume. There's other competitors, but we certainly are confident that we will get our fair share of of that pipeline. You know, applying our uh, underwriting rigor. Sure. And maybe just a, sorry, the last one's from me. How should we model income taxes for the next year? And when do you plan to put permanent financing on the KBOS portfolio? And what kind of interest rates are you expecting? Uh, so maybe I'll just address the income tax side. Um, uh, just in terms of we do expect probably higher income taxes compared to the current year, um, just because um, there's the tax appreciation deduction that we arrive at uh, taxable income is a function of the municipal tax value. So um, a lot of the properties have increased, uh, you know, quite quite a bit since we acquired it. So a lot of the tax appreciation that we would have uh, been able to to utilize in the past, we'll likely not be able to do that in the future. So uh, we do see tax uh, uh, taxable income going up. But however, like in terms of, you know, when we look at uh, effective tax rate is still very low compared to um, the rate that we pay uh, in the Netherlands. So um, we are we are looking at, uh, you know, ways to reduce uh, tax uh, income tax expense. What do you what do you expect the effective tax rate to be approximately, Stephen? What's the range? Uh, I think yeah, I think it's around five to eight percent. Is what we expect. Sure. Thank you. Thank you. And anything on the permanent financing on cables? Scott. Um, yeah, I mean that's going to be a source of financing um, in the very near term, I would say. And like Philip mentioned, uh, we can do. Debt close to one percent, uh, depending on duration. We're we're kind of targeting the four-year term, just given our maturity profile. But um, that will that we we are actively um, talking to lenders right now, and the pricing is very strong. Awesome, and, and, thank and you. And that 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 would include the Dorworth asset and the Caros asset, I'm not sure. Okay, sure. Thank you, thank you for all the color, and I'll turn it back. Thank you. Once again, please press star one on your device keypad if you have a question. There are no further questions registered at this time. I would now like to turn the meeting back over to Mr. Burns. Again, thank you all for joining us this morning. And if you have any further questions, please not hesitate to contact any of us at any time. Thank you again, and goodbye. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.